Let's go to John chapter 7. I have limited minutes, and so I am going to just pick a few points. Some you may have heard before in the last few weeks, some you may not, just to remind us of what the concussion happened in the what the concussion did to the world when the shout that went round the earth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The shot that went round the world or the shout that went round the world, and that's the Lord Jesus. John chapter 7, the Jesus in the last great day of the feast, verse 37, stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Parentheses. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Closed parentheses. That little bit of information there is what Jesus did when he was glorified at the right hand of God. God gave him the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus gave the gift of the Holy Ghost to the church. That's when he ascended up on high and gave gifts to men. So there were apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And the believers were filled with the Holy Ghost. A new R.O. A new religious order in the world. Completely different from the Old Testament. There's whole new offices. The ambassadors were different. And the Holy Spirit's presence with his church was different. So we come over to John chapter 16, and we find out a little bit of what those ambassadors are going to do with the Holy Ghost. Remember, when we got to John 12 and where we are right now, we are in the last two or three days of Jesus' life. He's going to have a supper in chapter 13, we end up, we call it the Last Supper. 14 through 16 are all about the Holy Spirit that will replace him in their lives. Chapter 17 is his prayer. We're all, it's in the last few hours. But we want John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Apostles, you should want me to go away, because if I go away, you're going to get the Holy Ghost in power. What will the Holy Ghost do? Through them. Because notice, it's all, it's all about them at this point. I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. And did the apostles preach a message against anyone that didn't believe on Jesus? Indeed. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. There's only one way of righteousness, and that's by the mediatorship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. The most important figure in the world has been judged. And so the apostles went forth and preached sin, against sin, and of only one way of righteousness, and of the devil having been judged. And they went and did that. It's wonderful to see them do it. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Amen. When Paul was with, we can, not Paul, Peter, when Peter was with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, listen to one of the first things he told, or one of the things he told Cornelius, that Jesus has commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. 
So it was a message of judgment against the world. We are wanting to fill out what did Jesus mean when he said, now is the judgment of this world. That his ambassadors, specially chosen, specially prepared, full of the Holy Ghost, would go out into all the world and preach a very condemning message, reproving, rebuking the world because of sin, righteousness, and the judgment that they would get and that the devil had already been judged. Look at chapter 17. I've referred to this one. Chapter 17, Paul is in Athens, Greece. He is with the great philosophers of the world at that time, and he preaches to them about their superstitious religion, which he declared to them that he had found their things all that in verse 22, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. That's the Apostle Paul against the philosophers of his day. He goes on to describe how their religion was illogic, illogical, and that it was not consistent with their own statements about the nature of a God. But he comes down to verse 30. And the times of this ignorance, he's talking about idolatry in verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, their poets had declared that, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Idolatry is stupid, men. Right. You should get that. Verse 30, And the times of this ignorance, 4,000 years of this, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. I love the Bible. Amen. When the Apostle Paul met philosophers in Athens, the home of philosophy of Greece, the place that seeks after wisdom. Could God have given them wisdom? But he didn't. He gave them Jesus Christ. And so he said in verse 31, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Not only did he raise Jesus from the dead, but Jesus ascended into heaven, and God crowned him with great glory and honor at his right hand, though that's not mentioned here. Here's one of those examples where you've got to tie the events together. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father on high, and Paul is telling the philosophers to repent because they're going to be judged. Chapter 24. Chapter 24, he's got the governor Felix And at verse 24 of Acts 24, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So what do you do when you're asked to tell us about what, what is your faith? What is your religion? And as he reasoned of righteousness, are you seeing this righteousness pop up from all the way back there in John 16? He'll reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as he reasoned of righteousness temperance, that's what you've got to have to avoid sinning, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee, which he didn't do. But he trembled. A Roman leader is trembling because of a verbal message by the Apostle Paul about sin, righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. The world was being turned upside down by a message they had never heard before. God had winked and God had ignored all of us Gentiles in our ancestors and all the crazy, stupid things we worshipped, but no longer. 
He sent men into the world to tell us that it was stupid. And listen, you go to Acts chapter 19, and the silversmiths in Ephesus got together because their craft was about to be destroyed. Right. What was their craft? Making little shrines for the goddess Diana. And for two hours they screamed like idolaters must do and never get heard. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. That shout didn't go round the world, right. though they claimed that it did. You want to see them? You want to hear their arrogance about their God? Let's go over here to uh, Acts chapter 19 and trust that I can find it. Oh yeah, here we go. A certain man, verse 24 of Acts 19, named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. It was a big business. Our religion's in the business of undoing big business. Right. Whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, very small area called Asia Minor, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. This is the judgment of the world. The world had been very happy with its idolatry for 4,000 years. And here comes men saying, you're all nuts. And yet we laugh about it. Men honestly worshipped silver idols and cardboard idols, don't they? The Buddhists over there with their little cardboard temples, and you can get a cardboard caddy for mom and dad who have long gone and burn it to them or give it to them. And, you know, just idolatry. So that, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Well, not hardly. But uh, there were a few people in Asia Minor that worshipped Diana. But notice, it's their religion that's being destroyed and their business being destroyed. And how? By a new message, by the power of the Holy Ghost. And when did it get started? With the death of Christ that purchased the gift of the Holy Ghost as spoils for his victory, given to him when he ascended into heaven, poured out upon the church, filling men like Saul of Tarsus that became the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for that. Amen. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Do you, know, do you want to know the rudiments of our faith that go everywhere? It's, I'm still appealing to John chapter 16, but I'm, I want you to turn to Hebrews 6 about the ministry of the apostles by the power of the Holy Ghost. Reproving. It's a negative thing. It's to reprove the world because the world had been let go for 4,000 years, reproving them for sin, for about righteousness and judgment. Hebrews 6. Here are some of the fundamentals of our faith. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again, and here are the fundamentals, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So we better preach eternal judgment because that needs to be taught. Because we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Right. And it's, it's the sober religion that we have. Luke chapter 10. 
another benefit of Jesus Christ judging the world. Luke 10, we're going to get more of this one next Lord's Day. We could skip it, but let's look at it anyway just very briefly until next Lord's Day. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy. Jesus sent out 12, and he sent out 70, two by two. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen. Serpents and scorpions there just being from the animal kingdom, little creatures to represent the devils. And the spirits, because they're called spirits in verse 20, they're called serpents and scorpions, and the enemy in verse 19, but those 70 had power over them through Jesus Christ, because he's the stronger man. And we're going to leave that one. I want to remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ came in judgment on that generation. Look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16. The Jews were part of the world in this way. Let me quote, while you're turning to Matthew 16, I quote to you from John chapter 8 and verse 23. Jesus said unto them, that is the Jews, ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. Right. So when we read in John 12, 31a, now is the judgment of this world. Ye are of this world. There's going to be a judgment of the Jews. And it took place in 70 AD when the armies of the Romans under Titus, the prince of Rome, destroyed that city and leveled it to the ground. 1.1 million died within its walls. A terrible destruction of the Jewish nation and its capital and its temple and its priesthood and all the activities in that city, just as God prophesied through Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 28 and the last few verses, all the way through the minor prophets about that great, great day of judgment and how Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to as many as the Lord our God shall call. I just forgot the 40th verse, and it's the 40th verse that I want. And with many other words that he testified came to me before I got there. That's still a good sign. <laughs> and with many other words, so repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And with many other words, a large part of his preaching was, save yourselves from this untoward generation, because that untoward generation was to be destroyed. And the Jews were part of it. Matthew 16, verse 28, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. A statement like that requires a period of time somewhere out there around 40 years. Just by the statement itself, without us knowing when Jesus came in an aspect of kingdom power to destroy the Jews. Some of you 
Most of you will be dead. Some of you will be alive. And you will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Mark's version is, you'll see the Son of Man coming with kingdom power. Now I want to show you that this was also fulfilled in the life of Caiaphas. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. The Jews were the part of the world most responsible for Jesus' death. The Jews were most responsible for the death of Jesus. And they were destroyed. Jesus is on trial. And the high priest and those that are around him, he's not answering them, as the Bible tells us. They're accusing him of all kinds of things, and he won't say anything. Verse 63, but Jesus held his peace, even though they're accusing him of all kinds of crimes, including blasphemy. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God. That is an oath. That's the high priest swearing Jesus by an oath. He has to answer by the sound of swearing. That's the whole Old Testament teaches that. We still do it in America. I swear to tell the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Are you the Messiah, the Son of God, or not? Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, You bet I am. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Stephen got to see him first. There at the right hand of God in Acts chapter 7 when he was stoned. And Caiaphas, now listen, a plural pronoun is used. So there was more than Caiaphas that survived in that crowd that was there when Jesus was on trial that got to see Jesus coming in the destruction of Jerusalem. Right. Not visibly. Not, not go, go, read the, go read coming in the clouds. God came in the clouds so many times in the Old Testament but never used clouds to come in the clouds. You're supposed to learn to think metaphorically. It's like David describing the Lord coming to rescue him so many times that he rode the clouds like a chariot. Over and over. We're supposed to learn something when we read the Bible. And the Bible's in an order that it is for us to get through Psalms before we get to Matthew. And if we've done that, then we've read about clouds and God coming in clouds and judgment and great and notable days of destruction and the sun not shining and the moon not giving her light and the stars being cast down from heaven and all those figures of speech about political rulers and religious rulers being overthrown and the heavens and the earth being shaken, meaning there's an upheaval and a new religious order coming into being because the old things are shaken away with a shaking of the heaven and the earth. Paul said that the shaking that was caused by Jesus Christ's coming shook away the Old Testament. And what was left was the New Testament kingdom, Hebrews chapter 12, the last five verses. And so we could go look at verse after verse after verse about this event, but it was huge. Look at Malachi chapter 4. So we're going to look at a couple. Malachi chapter 4, the last two verses of the Bible, of the Old Testament, of the Old Testament Bible. Malachi chapter 4, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, the destruction of Jerusalem, because that is John the Baptist from this morning. Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 17, This Elijah the prophet is John the Baptist, and he came before the destruction of Jerusalem. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest they come and smite the earth with a curse. But he did smite the earth with a curse. Because they didn't have a full revival in Israel. And if you come over to Matthew chapter 3, 
as soon as we get some more preaching after the end of the Old Testament, look what John says. How does John open up his preaching? Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, the men living at that time, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's the great and terrible day of the Lord that was 40 years away. Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Save yourselves from this untoward generation, as Peter would put it. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also, now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost at Pentecost and with fire in the destruction of Jerusalem, whose fan is in his hand. He is fanning those flames, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And you know, these prophecies are throughout the Gospels and into the epistles, and they're in the book of Hebrews as well, because then Paul was addressing the people to whom they most closely pertained. And I will leave that subject, but it was huge. It was the greatest tribulation in the history of the world. Now is the judgment of this world. The Jews were part of that, this world. I read that to you from John 8, 23. And so there was great judgment. Did you enjoy reading Revelation last night and seeing? We go to Revelation 4 and 5 a lot. And Revelation 5 is the ascension and coronation of Jesus Christ. God is sitting on his throne with a book of the everlasting covenant, and it has seven seals on it. It's written on the inside. It's written on the outside. It's full of wonderful benefits for us. They hadn't been able to sing about salvation in heaven until Jesus got there. There was no man found in heaven or in earth or under the earth that could open the book that was in the hands of Almighty God sitting symbolically there in Revelation 5 on the throne. And John is weeping. And an elder comforts him and says, don't worry. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the book. And there in the presence of God was a lamb as it had been slain. That's a lamb that isn't white, but a lamb that is red with his blood that had been slain. And he, the Lord Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, took the book out of the hands of him that sat on the throne. And as soon as he did that, his position in the universe is now settled. He died, a lamb slain, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the son of David, the, the stem of Jesse, the root of Jesse. Bang, he's there. The shout heard round the world, it is finished, was his work of redemption. And he went into heaven and took the book. And remember the three choirs. The rest of Revelation 5 is three choirs. The angels, the, the, the saints that are there, the believers, and then all creatures are blessing God on his throne and the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And the four beasts said, Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Jesus is holding the book of world history for the last 2,000 years. And he peels off the first seal. And a white horse goes forth. 
describing the events that took place from the first advent of Jesus to his second coming. And it proceeds through them. And when it gets to the seventh seal, then we get some trumpets, seven trumpets. And when we get through the seven trumpets, we get seven thunders. And then we get seven vials, which are the wrath of God. And these are stages of things that happened over the last 2,000 years. And sometimes, like chapter 11, before we got to 12, it ends up with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Then it starts, it steps back and starts forward from a different angle. But it all started with the shout heard round the world, is my whole point. Right. I'm not going to preach Revelation to you right now. I know, I heard it get so silent in here, I got scared myself. <laughs> I want to. Pray for me. Let's pray that as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll show us some of those things. Amen. You know, even when we go back to Daniel, and when we look at some of the prophecies about the destruction of Jerusalem, we can't always nail down all the individual details because we're removed from the situation. But all the parameters that He gives us are satisfied and so we don't worry that we can't explain every single little detail. Right. We know when it occurred between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. And there were huge things that happened in Europe. Huge events. Great portions of the population killed by disease. Lots of civil wars. And so when you look at those horses and you look at the vials and you see the rise of Islam, you know, things... Things have occurred over the last 2,000 years. But what did it all start with? I want one theme. It's all about him. It started in the first verse of chapter 6. As soon as we heard the 4B say, Amen. The singing was over. It was time to rule. And he rips off the first seal. And things start happening in the Roman Empire. Thank you, Lord. It's all, it's all about him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We're winding it down. We have to, we want to get to the Lord's table and celebrate his death that put all these things into action and force. Jesus overcame the world for us. Amen. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Leave it. Jury, disregard that remark. 1 John 5, 4. But we're not going there. We're at Acts 15 because I've got to give you this. The dispensationalists, those Zionists, those that have so many errors that I mentioned to you last Lord's Day and I don't want to repeat that list. This, is, they say, is their most important verse passage in the Bible. Right here. Verse 13, this is the council of Jerusalem. What is the issue at stake? Gentiles are being converted. How much of the Old Testament do they need to keep? That's the issue. That's why this great council has come together. First of all, Peter explains, I preached first to the Gentiles at Cornelius' household, and he explains that. That's there in verse 7. Then Paul and Barnabas explained, how that God used them to preach to the Gentiles in verse 12. When they were done, the leader of this church at Jerusalem spoke, James. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that's Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles 
to take out of them a people for his name. Since Peter was first, then Paul and Barnabas were second. We have just heard that God is doing something big among the Gentiles that they're being converted. And to this agree the words of the prophets. This is Amos. As it is written, but it says prophets, because I have been trying to share some verses with you out of Psalms, out of Isaiah. Did you like Isaiah 25 yesterday that opened up the preparatory email? Did you like Isaiah 55 last week that opened up the preparatory email? Those passages are fantastic, and they're about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The ones from, how about Isaiah 11? How about Isaiah 2? How about Isaiah 9? And they include Gentiles in all of them right. when it refers to the heathen or the nations or the world coming to worship. Because that didn't happen until the Gentiles are converted. And here we are. They're dealing with an issue. James is being given inspiration by the Holy Spirit to explain Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, right here that he's about to quote. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. That is Amos writing in 500 B.C. that there would be a great conversion of the Gentiles after some of the other things he did with the nation of Israel. Now remember prophetic perspective. Oh, yeah. It's too simple. After this, after this, who does that apply to? Amos or James? Amos. Amos. Because he's quoting it. And he's quoting it accurately. But he is saying this is what's happening right now. In verse 15, to this agree the words of the prophets. This is what the prophets said were going to happen. I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. The nation of Israel fell into great disrepair. When we meet them in Matthew, who's in charge of the, the nation of the Jews? Governors, appointed, governors and a king appointed by Rome. They don't have their own independence or sovereignty. And so it's fallen down. But they're in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was the town of David. David. Oh, of David. A baby was born that was caught up to the throne of God who would rule with a rod of iron. The Gabriel said to Mary, He shall be called the Son of the Highest, and He is the Son of David, and shall sit on David's throne and reign forever and ever. Amen. And uh, His kingdom is made up of you and me. Amen. The residue of the people. Our brother, leading the prayer in the back room this morning, called himself the residue of the people. We're the remnant. We're the, Jew, we're the Gentiles that have been brought in and made up the kingdom of Jesus Christ. When did this all take place? When the world was judged. Some were condemned for their religion, told to repent, and that judgment was coming. Others heard that message and believed on the one that was being preached to them, the Lord Jesus Christ, and made up a new kingdom that circled the earth and replaced the idolatrous temples that had been there before. Oh, we could just keep going on and on. The whole world, in various degrees, moved to worship Jehovah in various degrees and senses from idolatry. There were conversions on every continent. There were conversions everywhere. As men heard the gospel, the gates of hell, the bondage of this world to Satan could not resist the gospel blast of the apostles with the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost with them. 
Martyrdom and all kinds of persecution couldn't halt it. The world had to adjust its methods, even with pagan Constantine having to confess Christianity. That is incredible. They tried to exterminate us for 300 years. Then they declare that they're Christians. Incredible. Kings shall come to the gospel. Let there be a scriptures made in the English language to replace all these competing Bible versions. 1604, King James I of England, the 6th of Scotland said that. And, And the Lord protected him and took Guy Fawkes apart, literally, called drawn and quartered for messing with King James. So many things. Look at America. What was this nation 400 years ago? What was happening on these shores? What kind of worship was taking place? The buffalo? The great spirit? The people that came here, what did they used to worship 2,000 years ago? The first ones here, the Europeans. What did they used to worship? Idols, devils, witchcraft, sorcery. So idolaters came to the land of idolaters. And what do we have? A gospel haven, the United States of America. Every person on earth signs their checks 2018 in the year of our Lord. A.D. and B.C. He judged the world. The world was turned upside down. The enemies of the gospel said, these men have turned the world upside down. And it's been turned upside down. Thank you, Lord. America is great. Not for its founders, not for its laws, not for its resources, but for its followers of Jesus Christ and the freedom allowed to them to preach and practice New Testament Christianity. Christianity, though much of it is false, by false doctrine is by far the largest religion from a Nazarene. National desirability and prosperity are in proportion to Christ and without idolatry. There's 500,000 Baptist churches in the world with 105 million adherents. And I'm, I'm trying to close. And a Baptist preacher lied in state in the rotunda of our capital this past week. He was ordained a Baptist, and Billy Graham's membership is at the First Baptist Church of Spartanburg. He lied in state. I saw Air Force One, uh, of course, on uh, internet, landing in Charlotte for the president and the first lady, for the vice president and his wife to be at his funeral. Crazy. Was Billy Graham all messed up and did he compromise and did he preach another Jesus? Yes, yes, yes. Amen to all three yeses. But another Jesus in this country has residual benefits that Russia and China and other nations of the earth don't have. Because them talking about Jesus in the rotunda of our capital allow us to talk about the true Jesus right here free. We can't preach everything. They can't preach everything publicly in China or in Russia like we do. But we do it here because there's a residual effect of the gospel. And it was elevated to the highest levels. They prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in our capital. 
this nation that wants to tear state and church apart had church and state like this with a religious leader in the center of government and them all gathered around it. Speaker of the House, majority of the Senate, President, all there. Beautiful. What a nation we live in. Some of you may be wondering about me, wondering if we're going to, or I'm going to join the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Not close. I just want you to think about what a great nation we have. Because they don't use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and those other nations that I mentioned. In fact, I don't know of a nation on earth that wants to use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in public like our nation will. And though Billy Graham was a terrible compromiser, he never ever preached a sermon without talking about the cross. The shout heard round the world of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you preach another Jesus, the other Jesus is up here. Whether Billy Graham is saved or not, we don't know. We'll leave that with the Lord. But the Galatians had been bewitched from the gospel. Paul didn't rebaptize them. Paul didn't exclude them. Paul just told them, you have fallen from grace. Your mental understanding of the truth is deficient. And his was. But what a nation we have. And I just want to point out, what were the savages on this nation, on this continent, doing before the other savages got here? in the little boats called the Santa Maria, the Nina, and the Pinta. We're all idol worshipers. Now what's happened? You know how the Lord did so many wonderful things? Bam! Islam rises and chases the Western Roman Empire to Constantinople. Do you know the seat of government of the Roman Empire had to retreat to Constantinople to get off the boot of Italy? What happened when they got overthrown there in 1453 by the Turks, another name for Islam. It sent all the Greek manuscripts up into Europe that Erasmus and Johann Gutenberg with his printing press got a hold of, along with William Tyndale and others, and Bibles flooded the world. Right. The popes that had kept the Bible suppressed and only allowed the Latin in their churches that no one spoke or read, and the Bibles were chained in pulpits. The world was being ripped by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're the beneficiaries of it. Amen. Whole churches called the Welsh Track Baptist Church moved from Wales to North America, to Delaware and to Pennsylvania and to the PD River just a few miles over here in South Carolina. They were given a huge land grant by William Penn. They spoke Welsh. And they believe very much like we do. And their ancestors were in the mountains of Wales in the wilderness. That woman protected from that dragon of pagan and then papal Rome. That's why, I, that's why I've talked a little bit about Billy over the last couple of weeks. That See, that wouldn't happen in any other nation. Right. And to hear prayers being made and presidents being interviewed and them using the name of Jesus Christ even if they don't know him or believe him, they're using the name that they're all going to bow before. Amen. One, another little tidbit that's kind of off subject, but I just have to share it. September, you know, after September 11th, all the, all the flights in America were, done, were put down. There were no flights in America. Our skies were completely cleared. 
But on September 13th, there was one, there was one plane in the skies over America. And it was flying from North Carolina to Washington, D.C. Because Washington, D.C. wanted their Baptist preacher there. One airplane in the sky over America. Carl Rove gave that in testimony this past week about the importance of Billy Graham to the government of the United States. Now, we know Billy Graham's a compromiser, and I don't want to get any... Don't get confused, folks. You're not going to get requests for donations from me for the Billy Graham Association or Samaritan's Purse. But I love America for the residual effect of the gospel that has been preached here and is still preached here in many right. places. And from America, that gospel has gone out everywhere. And that British Empire that had its pieces around the whole globe so that it could say the sun never set in the British Empire, do you know what language they spoke? Are you familiar with it? And that scripture, and that gospel, in that language went around the whole world. And we just happen to be a little part of it here. We want to thank the Lord for everything he's done. Amen. I've got to bring up one more principle from the word of God, lest you think I've lost my mind. In second, I've done it before, but remember this. In 2 Kings 17, the Assyrians came and took the ten tribes of Israel away from Israel and put them in Assyria. And they took Assyrians and brought them and put them in the territories of the ten tribes. Well, the lions multiplied immediately and began to eat them. So they sent an ambassador to the king of Assyria. We have a problem. The God of this place does not like us. Send us a priest that will tell us what he wants from us. So they found one captive priest, sent him back, and he taught them the fear of the Lord. And if you read 2 Kings 17, you're going to think that the writer is speaking with a forked tongue because he keeps saying both things. It'll say, so they feared the Lord and serve their idols. Serve the Lord and serve their idols. But they had the rudiments of Jehovah's religion. What happened to the lions? Bye-bye. Even lip service by nations to the God Jehovah of the Bible and his son Jesus Christ. And so when you look at America and you listen to your pastor who's gone, who you're wondering about him, because he's actually sounding a little friendly toward Billy Graham, we would never compromise with Billy Graham. But I want you to appreciate what Jesus Christ has done to the world. Right, right. This nation was inhabited by idolaters. Idolaters came here to take it away from them. But the gospel came. And it changed this nation. Right. And we have the liberty that we do today. The kingdom of God is more visible in America than anywhere else in the world. It doesn't have to hide like it does in other places. It's there in other places, but it doesn't have to hide. In Philippians 2 that we opened with this morning, the last word of verse 8. Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, that's verse 5. Being the form of God, verse 6. Verse 8, the last word, died the death of the cross. What I've wanted to show you today is that the cross is the shout heard around the world. The next words... Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. Amen. And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.